Amen. What a great truth. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank You that You walk through every trial with us. You're there. You may not spare us from the storm, but You are there with us right through it. And we thank You, Lord. We thank You for every no answer as much as we thank You for the yeses. Because You're sovereign and You know what's best for us. Lord, we trust You with the the biggest issues of our lives and the smallest details of our hearts. Visit with us now. Father, as we study Your Word, give us hearts that are open to what You have for us. In the precious name of Your Son, we pray. Amen. Alright, we'll see how this goes. I'm using progressive lenses now. Eye doctor said you need bifocals. I said, that's crazy talk, doctor. I said, I just need longer arms. Well, I want to tell you about Corey and Betsy Ten Boom, who were courageous, compassionate Dutch Christians who helped harbor Jews from the Nazis in Holland during World War II. And after the sisters were arrested for doing so, they were imprisoned at Ravensbrück, a German concentration camp. And arriving at their barracks, they were shown to a series of massive square platforms. They were stacked three levels high and they were placed so close together that people had to walk single file to pass between them. And rancid straw was scattered over the platforms which served as communal beds for hundreds of women. Corey and Betsy found they could not sit upright on their own platform without hitting their heads on the the deck above them. So they lay back, struggling against the nausea that swept over them from the rancid straw. And suddenly, Corey started up, striking her head on the cross slats above. Something had bitten her leg. Fleas, she cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with fleas. Descending from the platform and and edging down a narrow aisle, they made their way to a patch of light. Here, here, and another one there, Corey wailed. So they immediately prayed to God. They took all their petitions to God always. It was their habit. And they prayed to God to either remove the fleas or or move the sisters to a, a place of better living conditions. But as the days passed, it became clear that God did not answer either prayer. Betsy, how how can we live in such a place? Corey cried out. Show us, show us how, Betsy said matter-of-factly. It took Corey a moment to realize that her sister was praying. Corey, Betsy then exclaimed excitedly, he's given us the answer before we asked as he always does. In the Bible passage we read this morning, where was it? Read that part again. Corey checked to make sure no, no guards were looking and she drew from a pouch a small Bible that she had managed to smuggle into the concentration camp. It was in First Thessalonians, she said, finding the passage in the feeble light. Here it is. Comfort the frightened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Betsy interrupted. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about these barracks. Corey stared at her incredulously. 
then around at the dark, foul-smelling room. Give thanks that such as what? she inquired. Well, such as being assigned here together. Corey bit her lip. Okay, oh yes, Lord Jesus. Such as your, what you're holding in your hands, that Bible. Corey looked down. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you that there was no inspection when we entered here. And thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, agreed Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here since we're packed so close. That many more will hear. She looked over at Corey expectantly and prodded. Come on, Corey. Oh, all right. Thank you, Lord, for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy, continued on serenely, for the fleas and for the... That was too much for Corey. said, I, I can't, Betsy. There's no way even God can make me grateful for the fleas. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy corrected. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. So they stood between the stacks of bunks that day and gave thanks for the fleas. Though on that occasion, Corey thought Betsy was surely wrong. Well, as the weeks passed by, Betsy's health weakened to the point where, rather than needing to go out on work duty each day, she was permitted to remain in the barracks and knit socks. Together with other seriously ill prisoners, she was a lightning-fast knitter and usually had her daily sock quota completed by noon. And as a result, she had hours each day she could spend moving from platform to platform reading the Bible to fellow prisoners. And she was able to do this undetected as the guards never seemed to venture far into the barracks. And one evening when Corey arrived back at the barracks, Betsy's eyes were gleaming. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself. Corey told her, you know, we've never understood why we have so much freedom in this big room, Betsy said, referring to the part of the barracks where the sleeping platforms were. Well, I found out. This afternoon there was confusion in my knitting group about sock sizes, so we asked the supervisor to come and settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door and neither would any of the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice as she exclaimed, because of the fleas. That's what she said. The guards all said and the supervisors all said, that place is crawling with fleas. We won't step foot there. Well, Corey's mind raced back to that first hour in the barracks and their prayer to God, which was answered no. She remembered Betsy bowing her head and thanking God for creatures that Corey could see no use for. And those fleas not only gave them freedom to read the Bible with one another, but may very well have saved their lives as the Nazi guards refused to step foot in those barracks to extract prisoners for execution. God's no became a blessing in disguise. We don't understand it always, don't we? Do we? We, we, we? we bring our requests to God and we pray and we even plead and we even beg and the request seems so right to us at least. But our petitions are met with a no. God clearly sees things differently than we do. And oftentimes His, his no's give way to, to sadness and fear and anger and bitterness. We, we did our part. Lord, in Jeremiah 33.3, 3, you, you tell us 
Call to me and I will answer you. I did, I did, Lord. But you didn't answer the way I expected you to. Why? Well, there are good reasons. We don't always see them at the time. We don't always understand them in the moment. We're not privy to them. But today we're going to comfort our hearts. We're going to comfort our hearts by looking at three reasons that God says no. Turn with me to our first text this morning or look up at the, at the screens. Second Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 6. We're going to read 6 through 10. Paul here is writing to the church in Corinth and he says this. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Our first reason today, God says no when he has a different plan. Paul tells us he had a a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. People have speculated his, his eyesight, an ailment, a weakness, a recurring thought, a fear, a relative, right? We all have that one annoying thorn in the flesh relative in our families, don't we? Mark Lowry says, if you can't think of who it is, if no one pops into your mind, it's you. (laughs) We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. But it was something or someone. And it tormented Paul badly enough that he took it to the Lord in prayer. Not once, not twice, three times. But God did not answer Paul's prayer the way Paul wanted. God did not remove the thorn from Paul's flesh. God said no. Why? Because as Paul goes on to explain, God had a different plan. God gave Paul more grace for the trial. He made him weak so that Paul would rely more on Christ. And the more we rely on Christ, the stronger we become. Isn't that a great truth? What would the benefit have been for God to remove the thorn? Would Paul have been a stronger Christian? Prouder maybe, but not stronger. Would he have been a deeper Christian? No. His reliance on God, his dependence on God, is what made Paul who he was. It's what filled his writings with inspiration and encouragement. It gave him a heart of compassion. He could feel with those who hurt. It made him an encourager. And Paul was a great encourager. He could applaud those who carry on despite their circumstances. It made him point to Christ as the provider and source for every need we have. So often we, we make that same petition, don't we? Lord, take this pain away. Lord, take this trial away. Lord, change the circumstance. And so often God says, no, I'm not going to change the circumstance. 
but I'm going to change you through the circumstance. I'm going to use this trial to make you something better. Our plan is always based on ease and comfort and resistance to change. But God always has a better plan because He wants what's best for us, not what's easiest for us. C.S. Lewis said this, and it's so true. We're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. That's exactly it. We focus only on the fire while God sees the refined masterpiece on the other side. Joseph wanted out of the pit and out of the prison. What did God do? He left him there all while preparing a palace for him. Moses wanted out of Egypt. God had a plan to send him back as leader of his people. David wanted peace with Saul. God put him on the run and and hiding in caves, all while preparing the throne for him. And here Paul wanted God to remove his thorn. God gave him more grace to endure and thrive and write much of the New Testament that we hold in our hands today. Look at the man Paul became. Look at the endurance he learned. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-10, to he says this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Paul became an endurer. Paul became an overcomer. Paul became a fighter. Nothing this world threw at him was going to get Paul down. His eyes were no longer on that thorn, nor on his circumstances, but on the God who sustained him and carried him through it. In spite of all of it, that thorn would not define him. That thorn would not hold him back. That thorn would not keep him down. But that thorn became an impetus for Paul to become the greatest apostle in Scripture. When God said no to Paul, Paul said no to despair and to hopelessness and to bitterness because he understood the great truth and he trusted that God had a better plan. God says no when He has a different plan. He wants to redirect our own plans to something far better. And and in the moment... In the disappointment, that no is tough to take. Redirection forces something out of our hands that we had hoped to keep. But through that, we begin to realize that God's plan for our life doesn't always equate to the easy or the comfortable road. But it's the best one. He is working all things together, even the disappointments, for our good. God always has our ultimate good in mind. It's so comforting to know, isn't it? Which means He will pry from our hands the idols that we hold dear. What do we hold dear? Comfort, ease, security, popularity, associations, positions, power, money. He does this not because He's cruel or depriving us. He knows better than we do and His no is always merciful. Even when it hurts, He is for us. He's fighting against what will keep us from Him. He knows our hearts can only be truly satisfied with Him. And He will not tolerate being 
second in our lives because He wants us to have something so much better than what this world can offer. Amen? When God takes something away, what happens? There's a space there. There's a hole left there. He creates space in our lives to fill us with more of Him and more of His blessings. And that's the greatest gift of all. And it may not feel like it in the moment where we're forced to reconcile disappointment. But He wants to help us understand that that is so true. He wants us to experience it for ourselves. To taste and see and know that He is good. He has a plan. He has a plan not just for our good, but for our best. We may have to go through the fire. We may have to go through the process. We may have to wait in the dark sometimes for His perfect timing. We may have to let go of things that we hold dear. But in the end, the blessing will exceed our every expectation. In Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, it lists our heroes of faith. Throughout the Bible and, and, and at the end in verses 39 to 40, look what it says. And these men of faith, though they trusted God and won his approval, none of them received all that God had promised for God wanted them to wait and share the even better rewards that were prepared for us. Even better rewards. He's the God of better He's the God of more and we can always rest assured that He's the God of best. His no to our plan and our prayer only means He has a better yes in store and it will always turn out for our best. May we comfort our hearts to know that His plan is best for us and may we give Him our hearts and our compliance to work that plan in our lives. Amen? That's our first reason today. God says no when He has a different plan. Our second reason, God says no when He has a different perspective. We're going to look very briefly at the story of Job. Job was a wealthy man in the Old Testament. He resided in an area called Uz with his extended family and his vast flocks. And he's blameless and upright. And he's constantly mindful to live for God, to honor God, to obey God and live in a righteous manner. And God is so pleased with Job. And he even tells Satan all about Job's virtue. But Satan contends that Job is only righteous because God has favored him generously. So Satan dares God that if given the approval to inflict suffering, Job will change and curse God. So God permits Satan to test Job, to experiment with this brazen claim. But he forbids Satan to take Job's life in the test. And so over the, the time of one day, Job is given four reports, each informing him that his sheep, servants, and ten children have all died. Due to thieving intruders or natural disasters. And it's devastating. It's tragic. And, and it came all at once. And Job rips his clothes and, and he shaves his head in sorrow. And yet he still praises God. Satan arrives in heaven again and God allows him another opportunity to test Job. This time, Job himself is distressed with terrible skin sores. And it's so bad, his wife urges him to denounce God and to give up and die. Curse God and die, she told him. But Job protests, trying to endure his afflictions. Three friends come to visit Job. And with friends like them, you don't need enemies. Their comfort and consolation quickly turn to blame. 
and accusations, they informed Job that his trial must be because of his own evil due to his sin and that his children deserved to die and that he deserved more suffering. And at this point, Job turns to God in prayer and he asks for the following. Job 40, 10 to 14. He says, Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Lord, unleash the flurry of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Job deplores the injustice that God lets evil people thrive while he and many other good people are suffering. And he pleads with God to crush them. He pleads with God to end them, to end his suffering and end his enemies now, to bury them in the dust. But God does not answer Job's request. God says no to Job. He does not end Job's suffering and he does not end Job's accusers. And it seems so wrong to us. It seems unfair. It seems cruel. But the problem is that Job has no idea about the test that God has allowed him to go through. He doesn't know about the reason and he certainly doesn't know about the ending that's coming up. And all he sees is his immediate need, his immediate pain. But God has a different perspective. He sees the other side. Every night in our household when it's time for bed, the kids see it as a time to open negotiations. And they send their representative, Jordan. (laughs) And I come to the table and he makes the bold claims of what they want. We want to stay up another hour. Can we please stay up another hour? Another hour? I start low. Five minutes. You can stay up five minutes. And it's pretty soon the back it becomes like hostage negotiations. (laughs) I want a helicopter and an island and a... You know, as a sign of good faith, release one of the prisoners, let Parker go, send him out. And and they want to stay up late and they have no idea that tomorrow they're going to feel horrible. They have school early in the morning and they don't think about this, but I see the other side. It's just like the Lord with us. He has another perspective. We don't think of it. We don't see it. We're not privy to it. And sometimes we wouldn't even understand it. But God knows all things. He sees all things. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. He knows and sees all things. He's privy to information we don't know. And instead of giving Job the answers he wanted, God assured Job that he was in control and he alone knew the reason for Job's suffering. And he was there. And God taught Job that it's better to know God than to know all the answers. It's a great truth. It can be hard to accept when we want to know all the answers. But the truth of the matter is that Job didn't need to know why he was suffering. He really needed to know who. Who was in control. Who loved him. And who would be there with him in his suffering. Job needed a new understanding of God, a new perspective. Rather than tell Job the reason for his suffering, God assured Job of his love, his wisdom, 
and his power. And Job learned the hard lesson that when everything is stripped away, everything in our lives is taken away, all we have is God and God is enough. No matter how bad life gets, God's love and His grace are enough. God gives us His presence, His Word, and His people to help us in our trials. And that's enough. That's more than enough. We don't need to know why. Job received a new perspective of God through that trial. Previously, he only knew the God of blessing. But now he learned all about the God of sustenance, the God of comfort, and the God of consolation. How crucial it is for us to realize there's another side to the story. There's always another perspective which we may not immediately see or realize. We get hung up on how we are impacted, how we are hurt, how we struggle, how we are uncomfortable, but God always has another perspective. And how blessed we are when we see it. Matthew Henry, the great preacher and writer, he was robbed one day. And when he got home, this is what he wrote. Lord, I thank you that I have never been robbed before. That although they took my money, they spared my life. That although they took everything, it wasn't very much. And that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. That's a great attitude, isn't it? That's seeing another perspective. Job found a new perspective of God. And he persevered. He never gave up hope. He never lost his faith in God. He never cursed God. And when his test was over, God restored everything. God restored Job's health. He granted him twice as much property as before, new children and remarkably long life. His end was far better than his beginning and his beginning was outstanding. R.C. Sproul points out that ultimately, God never answered Job's questions. Job never actually found out why all of this loss and horror had occurred. It was, this, it was as if the answer to Job's queries was simply God's presence. God was saying, if you know who I am, then you'll trust me and that will be enough. In the final scene, Job was restored. God triumphed over the mockeries of Satan. Job's possessions were multiplied and the story was complete. Friend, your story is not complete. We don't know the ending of our trials. We don't know the timing of our trials and we don't know the reason for them. If we knew those three things, we wouldn't need faith. There wouldn't be a need for faith. But God knows those things. He has a different plan. He has a different perspective. And when He says no, we have to trust that He sees and knows what we do not and cannot. May we let that trial give us a new view of God, a closer view. May we learn more about His sustenance, His comfort, and His love. And may we rest in trusting His perspective and knowing and holding on to that truth that our end will be better than our beginning. Amen? God says no when He has a different plan. God says no when He has a different perspective. And our third and last reason, God says no when He has a different purpose. And for this point, we turn to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on that fateful night. Within moments, a chain of events would be set off in which He would be betrayed 
arrested, tried, convicted, sentenced, tortured, crucified, and killed. But before it all happened, Jesus turned to his Father with an honest and earnest prayer. Here's his sincere plea. Luke 22:39 to 44. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. His humanity made the petition. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But his deity already knew the answer. God said no. And Jesus, knowing this answer, responded with, Not my will but yours be done. As painful, as painful as it must have been for God to deny His own Son's prayer, He had to. Why? Because He had a different and a greater purpose in mind. What might have happened? What might have happened if God called it off? If He had granted Jesus' request? Well, for starters, we wouldn't be here at church today. There would have been no sacrifice of the Lamb of God that would bring about forgiveness of sins. We would all be slaves to sin, lost in the world, bound for an eternity in hell, separated from God. But the cross changed all of that. That was His greater purpose. God had a greater purpose in mind than sparing His own Son from pain, from anguish, from torture, from death. The truth of the matter is you were His greater purpose. That's how much you mean to Him. That's how much He loves you. That's how far He'd go for you. How often do we find ourselves praying, Lord, spare me. Spare me from what I have to go through. Spare me from the suffering. And when God says no, comfort your heart with two truths. First, this too shall pass. And second, there is a greater purpose for your trial that God will someday reveal. If not on this earth, then in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18 reminds us these troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. So we do not look at what we can see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven which we have not yet seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. There is a greater purpose in you going through that trial and that suffering than being spared from it. God is bringing glory to His name. He will produce in you great character. He will use it to strengthen you. He will use it to reach others. And in the end, you'll look back and you will thank Him for allowing you to go through that trial and for carrying you through it. And how we go through that trial, how we go through it is is as important as going through it. 
Have you ever found yourself kicking, screaming, complaining and grumbling during a circumstance or trial in your life? We've all been there. And do you think there's anything you're able to learn amidst the kicking, screaming, grumbling and complaining? No. No, don't let the trial be for naught. Don't let it go wasted. We might not understand the purpose for it, but we want it to do its work in us. We want God to do His work in us through it. American pastor and author James H. Brooks told of visiting a friend's house and hearing the music of a bird singing. And it wasn't the ordinary sound of chirping that a bird makes. Instead, it resembled the strains of a beautiful melody. The bird was actually singing a melody. And at first, Brooks didn't know where it was coming from, but when he glanced around the room, he saw a beautiful bullfinch in a birdcage. The lady of the house explained that it had been taught to sing that way at night. The teacher would repeat the notes time and again until the bird was able to mimic them. But this was possible only because it was dark and the bird's attention would not be diverted by anything else. All there was was the melody. How often we learn, he says, our sweetest songs when the blackness of trial closes in around us. That bird would have never learned to sing in the distractions of the beauty of sunlight. Only in its cage and only in the dark could it tune out the distractions and learn to sing its beautiful song and bless all those who would come to hear it. God has a reason for your trial, dear friend. And His no to prevent you from suffering is a yes to a far greater purpose. God says no when He has a different plan. God says no when He has a different perspective. And God says no when He has a different purpose. Three stories we looked at. Paul, Job, and Jesus. Three times God said no. He said no because He had something different in mind. A different plan, different perspective, different purpose. What's the takeaway for us? The takeaway is don't let a no turn into despair and anger and bitterness. Know that it comes from a heart that only wants your very best. Trust His plan. Trust His perspective. And trust His purpose. We may not understand it with our minds. We may not see it with our eyes. But we trust Him with our hearts. Amen? That's the purest definition of faith. You find yourself there today, friend? We've all been there. You've been praying. You've been praying to the Lord for something specific. And He's saying, no. Don't fall into despair and depression. Don't get angry or bitter. Take that heartache and that sadness and that sorrow and lay it at His feet. Don't let that no keep you from Him. Let it draw you closer to the God who only wants your best. Your prayers have not been answered the way you wanted, but rest assured, your prayers will be answered the way you need. He may be protecting you from something you don't see. He may be preparing you for something far greater than you could imagine. He knows what you need. He knows what you can become through His plan. He wants to use you in a mighty way. That no will lead to something far better and far greater than you ever dreamed. And one day, one day after you have allowed God to work through you and in you 
you will look back and say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that no. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to trust You when we don't understand. Help us to rise from disappointment and find comfort in the truth that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We know, Lord, that when, when our prayers aren't answered the way we want, that when the answer is no, that when we're not spared from the suffering and, and we're not rescued from the trial, we know that You have a greater plan, a greater perspective, and a greater purpose. And through it all, Father, the beauty is that You are there with us, encouraging us, upholding us, and carrying us through. We are so grateful for Your love, Father. And that you always want what's best for us. We thank you. We love you. We trust you. And we rest in you. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.